The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. now recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and abe is not here he's on assignment out now is a film podcast where abe and i normally discuss new movies weekly however every now and then we have these special bonus episodes whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks it's not completely different but this is our commentary track for february 2023 and we are continuing with our i love la commentary marathon that we're doing for the next few months here we started off in january with john carpenter's assault on precinct 13 and to follow up with this theme involving action movies set uh, in Los Angeles during various decades, we are now doing 1984's Beverly Hills Cop from director Martin Brest, starring one Eddie Murphy. Joining me to discuss Beverly Hills Cop, we have from Wise the Blue and host of the Brandon Peters Show. He's not going to fall for the banana and the tailpipe. It's Brandon Peters. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. Hello. Also joining us from Con Air, the podcast, and Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. He's making it more natural because look, man, he ain't fall for no banana and the tailpipe. It's Mark Hoffmeyer. I drove all the way from Atlanta to California for this episode just to get in the headspace. So I'm I'm ready for this. All right. I it was a terrible De- idea. It was a terrible I, idea. I, I went to Detroit. It, but... I made the bigger mistake. <laughs> Pure mission. And join, lastly, joining us from the rap, he's often said that we should be regarded as super podcasters. It's Scott Mendelson. This is the one where Sly Stallone cuts pizza with scissors. <laughs> hey, I'm from the East. I'm in West. Hey, this is weird. <laughs> Sorry. How are you all doing this evening? Actually, doing well. Good. This is, this is one of my favorite movies, so I'm excited. Okay. Well, cool. We are going to talk about it. That's the plan for this evening. We're going to talk about the film Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, the four of us are going to talk over the uh, yeah over the film. Um, we currently have it paused five seconds in. It's right where the Paramount logo is. The like the mountain is on screen. Sans the the actual wording. So if you plan to watch the movie along with us. Get five seconds in, press pause, and then when we count down and press say go, uh, press play, and you'll just hear us talking about Beverly Hills Cop. If you're just listening to this to listen, you're good. You don't have to do anything at all. You just have to sit back, relax, turn down the Harold Faltmeyer, and uh, just listen to us talk about this movie. Are you guys ready to go? Let's do it. Oh. Brandon is <laughs> ready. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's do this thing. Three, two, one, go. So, uh, raise your hand if you've ever had Axel F as your ringtone on your phone. <sighs> no, never. Right. Uh, I, I, it's certainly one I put in consideration. I had good, bad, the ugly for a long time on my phone. Oh, okay. When it was back before it was like real tones, it was just like chip tune type tones before you could have like mm. actual music. That's when I had Axel F. That which makes like in retrospect, I'm like that makes so much sense. <laughs> That's a film that naturally gives into that kind of thing. But, uh, for the longest time, I sang It's My Life into my phone, and then I turned that into my ringtone. So it was me singing Bon Jovi's <laughs> It's My Life as my ringtone for many years. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's great for Jeopardy trivia one day. Wow, wow. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> it's my life. And it's love. Oh, yeah. I belted it. I'm I like how. I'm going to live forever. 
I like how this movie starts with like Detroit, right? Beverly Hills right. Cop. Like here's all this Detroit shots. Let's 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 really get you into this. Uh, this is the Jerry Bruckheimer Don Simpson production. This is like one of the you know in the early days of those, right? We got yeah. what Flashdance already and a few other things. Is this is this the first like action movie that they've done? Is it? Well, they started off pretty well. Because they started off with like dramas more, right? Is this like the first action cut, like a more of a prototypical what you'd expect from Simpson Bruckheimer? I believe so. Because I know, you know, Flashdance was sort of a game changer for them. And this sorry, was... sorry, sorry. Oscar nominee Jerry Bruckheimer. I forgot yes, to of course, that. of course. Yeah. Well, I'm going to switch something really quick. Wait, they had Gigolo, American Gigolo, then they had American Flash Gigolo, Flashdance, then this. Yeah. So it's like their first, like, yeah. this, this is the takeoff of the action aspect. Well, this kind of like does it. It's own a bit. Uh, it kind of does its own thing, though, too. Like, so there's action, but some different kind of element to it than what you're traditionally used to. Yeah, it's not like the 90s Bruckheimer run where it's right. pure, like, action character actors. Look at all this. This is, well, yeah, this is this more is of a... This is a little bit of everything. Like, yeah. you know, it's like the comedy, the action, cop movie. You know, it's it's a nice full... I mean, you get a full meal when you go to Beverly Hills Cup. Didn't they want to? Didn't they want to make Beverly Hills Gigolo? But then they're like, we've been to that well too many times, so this made him a cop, and that's how this movie happened. So there's two different stories involving mm-hmm. where this movie came from. One is that Michael Eisner came up with this idea while like traveling somewhere in one like a car, like some weird story, and he thought of this. But the other is that Don Simpson claims to have had an idea around the idea of a, of a cop coming from like another city to Beverly Hills. I don't know which one's true. They're both probably very high on cocaine at the time, so who knows which stories are ever going to come out as being the mm-hmm. accurate one. Uh, Don's, you know, Michael Eisner's still alive, so maybe he'll clear the record someday. Uh, but regardless, uh, one of these people gave the idea to, uh, I believe, Dan, Dan, Danilo Bach, who came with did the original story. Daniel Petrie Jr., he does like the rewrite eventually. But it goes through a lot of stuff first because of all the people they wanted for this, right? Uh, Mickey, <laughs> oh, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke was involved early on because he had like a Paramount contract. Uh, they thought that might work. That didn't happen. Obviously, the big story obviously is that Stallone was, of course, the one that was geared towards this thing. Um, he did a big, big old rewrite. Came a- Axel Cobretti um, <laughs> he had various things going on involving multiple stunts that were used in Cobra. In that, but like the script he was envisioning for this version, he wanted that Billy was going to die off like halfway through the movie. It was going to be a very serious affair. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. Stallone goes to do Cobra, which gets great reviews and makes two hundred million dollars worldwide. That's true. Completely true. <laughs> um, six billion, six billion, <laughs> six billion. Yeah, six billion. Yeah, it's, it's still not topped. Uh, it's with, still with, playing with without inflation. <laughs> I saw it in the theaters uh, yesterday. It was crazy. Yeah. It's still local, playing in first that, run. <laughs> that local Cobra screening that we all go to. <laughs> it's even better in IMAX. <laughs> Yeah, the 40X is insane. Uh, they put real smell. They actually yeah. shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bleeding right now. Please call for help. I'm going to die. Um, and uh, so before we get to Andy Murphy, who look at him here. He, like it's weird to say he looks young because it's like he still looks great. He's Andy Murphy, but like mm-hmm. he's so he's so youthful. Uh, with the I love that Mark. Like, Oh, sorry. So I love that Martin Brest just realized really quick that he was on fire. He's like, I just let him do his thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's the yeah. best, one of the best decisions Martin Brest could have made. Like, he just realized Murphy had a hot hand and they just sort of let it happen. And that's why I love this movie so much. Like, he just, he was like, oh, he's good. All right, let's just film him. Like, so those- before we get to Murphy, here's the list of like all the people considered. 
We have uh, Richard Pryor, Al Pacino, James Caan. Harrison Ford was offered. He turned it down. Jeff Bridges, Billy Crystal, De Niro, Gear, Gibson, Gregory Hines, Michael Keaton, Nick Nolte, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Schwarzenegger, Travolta, Robin Williams, which I find fascinating to think about this. That's the uh-huh. only person that would have made a similar movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and and Bruce Willis, which I can see that as well. It's far, but it's still... Yeah, so it's there was a lot of wow. consideration for this. I have to assume Billy Crystal and Gregory Hine met in a diner sometime after this movie came out and said, "Boy, we <laughs> fucked up turning that down. Let's make another movie like that." Which is great. I love writing. Which scary. is yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Really yeah. Cool. it's so fun. That's a good one. Um, yeah, Beefcake Billy Crystal in that one, like he's all jacked up. Yeah, he's ja- <laughs> he's about as jacked as Billy Crystal can get for a movie. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, tops. Got Joe Pants. Jimmy Smith's too. first major movie. Yeah, Jim, yeah, 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 Jimmy. Smith I remember I watched that for the first time in a long time, the same weekend that I saw In the Heights, and he aged like ten minutes. Yeah, because Jimmy yeah. Smith rules. He's great, and he's still doing the hands. He's very handy actor. <laughs> uh, big action scene ever... to open this thing. Oh, jeez, oh, Louise, so many cars. Uh, I, I'm sure we've gotten action scenes that open movies before, but like something about like because this is like an action comedy. There's just something that's like. And, but it's like real stunts, but it's like Eddie Murphy doing this kind of thing. It just feels unique in its own way. The score is playing, the big eight, you know, got the heat is on now going on. I mean, there's just like, there's blasting cars here. They're just, yeah. Like, no wonder. I think it got nominated for a, uh, let's see, the stunt work got nominated for an award because just so many cars here just get leveled. I wouldn't be surprised because, like, um, you know, yes, it's obviously known for being a comedy, but like, it's got a good number of action scenes that are oh, pretty yeah. competent in here. Like Martin Brest knows what he's doing with this stuff. Like, I don't want to say it was the first oh. this or the first that, oh. but it really does feel at this point in time as a somewhat groundbreaking action comedy, which is full on a comedy while also full on an action adventure picture. Yeah. without really comp- compromising either of those particular variables. Yeah, because the best um, I can think of are like, what, like Freebie and the, like, just like, like you know, random buddy comedies that are yeah. more like detective stories that happen to be a little humorous. Some, yeah, of, their I mean, ban- like some of their banter makes you laugh. You yeah, know? Even exactly. 48 Hours is a really dark action drama with a very yeah. funny character in it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um. So I mean, this in a skewed way. I mean, it's it's. I think that was one of the reasons it was successful as it was. Is it really gave you both in a way that were neither, neither felt compromised, um, along with the other obviously appealing or you know, obviously Eddie Murphy is basically pardon the expression let off the chain, and you know the film works as a relatively plausible engrossing crime comedy. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I mean this is these are stunts out of the Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah. But they're slightly more serious because you know it, it's it's um anyway, I'll stop talking now. No, it's perfect. You watch this though, these a- action scenes going down the street destroying those cars. You're you're worried about I mean no one's in them, but you're you're like, this is gonna yeah. blow something up. Like you, mm-hmm. you don't feel that visceral reaction too much. And so yeah, this works as a great action sequence. To kick off the movie, yeah. The only, I, you know, it's funny. Like Axel Foley here, the what Murphy brings. Like it's a lot of, a lot of Eddie Murphy in him, but like he plays it in such a way that you buy him as a cop as much as a goofball. Like he still yeah. takes the job seriously. He's still competent in his work. And I think like the only actor that I can think of that can that pull can pull this kind of stuff off. Similarly, is uh, 
Martin Lawrence, like him playing cop in movies like that, where he's kind of goofy and still competent, able to solve crimes. Um, but like he feels like the the next gen version of like your Eddie Eddie Murphy Axel Foley prototype here. I can see that, and I could that that would that can justify why he's done it a number of times between mm-hmm. you know the Bad Boys films, Blue Streak, mm-hmm. National Security, which sucks. I mean, there's like a, oh. <laughs> it does. Oh man, Blue Streak is a good TBS classic for me. I'll watch that anytime it's on. National National Security, though. Never I mean, seen Blue Streak. Should I? Oh, yeah, fun, it is yeah. entirely good. It is entirely fine. He and Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson is adorable. Bill Forsyth being like, this guy knows what we need. Like, like, this guy's the kind of thing we've been needing. He's really going to shake things up. (laughs) He's like coming straight out of the rock playing like a police character. (laughs) (laughs) Great soundtrack, that Blue Street, too. What's his name? Not Pete Stormare, the other one. Um, uh, uh, The bad guy in the mask. Yeah, Uh, they could have made a career. Yeah, Peter Green. Yeah. Dave Chappelle, like it's that's an entirely fun movie for what it's mm-hmm. silly. It's I mean it's Blue Streak, but it's still it's like if it's on, it's fine. It is a TBS Federale. classic. Though. It a is. It's a perfect, it's a perfect like. Hey, this movie's on TBS. Like Money Talks. Money Talks is my ultimate yep. TBS. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Characters welcome on USA. Characters welcome. Yep. <laughs> uh, Inspector Todd. Uh, Inspector Todd is played by an actual Detroit homicide detective. Um, and he would go on to be like president of the Detroit City Council. Oh wow! Yeah, breast went full freak in here. There's a, there's, a, there's a reason why this guy screams, you know, police, police captain, because he's an actual police. Captain. <laughs> you can't fake that kind of authenticity. And the deep I, bench, uh, I, we we're starting to get a vibe for it already. Just all like Paul Reiser, Eddie Murphy. This, mm-hmm. oh, I love the Paul, bench in this movie. Paul Reiser, who gets a great promotion in two years to go up into space and be in the uh, the the LD forty one program. <laughs> <laughs> but Inspector Todd, I like I you know Beverly Hills Cop three, bad. But when Inspector Todd gets killed, I'm like, that sucks. I liked Inspector Todd. Like it's, a gen- yeah. it's genuinely sad that he loses mm-hmm. his captain, who's been like a mentor to him. So. It starts so it starts off well as far as like I have the stakes, and then they then the rest of the movie happens. And and in a very subtle way, they really do establish that there's a certain mutual respect between these two characters. It's not just a you know off the rails rule breaking cop and the authority figure that's always yelling at them. They they obviously like each other and they respect each other, and that you know it gives a certain again authenticity to what otherwise would be you know cop movie cliches. Yeah, I think it, it, not that it's the entire factor, but the fact that, I mean, they're two black police officers. I think that makes a difference yeah. as far as the kind of the cultural exchanges going on and what it means for him to be a streetwise cop that knows what things. So it's like when you look at movies now and think about the propaganda you can assign to them, <laughs> you can see ones that stand out as far as how they're trying to address certain things. I mean, we're going to watch Axel Foley go to Beverly Hills and be accosted for a number of different reasons, simply because he does not look like everybody else in Beverly Hills. I mean, it's, it's all kind of there, which I certainly appreciate for a movie like this. (laughs) Who's this comedian? He is just leaving the fridge open. (laughs) Are there, I'm asking a question. I don't know the answer to, so I may be, you know, are there that many movies that are where they're fish out of water, where the fish just sort of takes over the water? Well, that's why I love this movie. Yeah. (laughs) That's a a good question, but yeah. I think I mean, Blue Streak is an example. I'm watching Blue Streak tomorrow. I mean, I feel like it's it's a good question. I, I feel like 
it it depends on like what kind, even then you have to kind of barrow down into what kind of fish out of water movie it is like thor yeah. doesn't take over you still you know it's a, at least not in the way that this one does where he's just yeah. running the table because he's just smarter than everybody else around him so that i guess that's what it is it's more of you know it's either you're hip enough where you can just you can fake you can fake it till you make it right that kind of thing it's like this is what eddie murphy's doing here once mm-hmm. he gets over the hills versus I'm from another time or I'm naive enough. <laughs> like I can't, you know, I can't make this work. Um, and also he chooses to go there. That may be part of it too. He's not, you know, that's, yeah, that's that, yeah, yeah, yeah. accidentally thrown through time or whatever. I'm trying like, there's a, in my mind, I'm forming like this Venn diagram right now. Well, he's still, he chooses to go over there and he's still within the confines of the same profession. Yeah. Just the scenery has changed. That's the other thing too. Something like, I don't know, big, is a movie where he like that's a weird one, right? Because it's like he grows up, and he's a child, but he gets a job, and he's very successful at that job. But he's still like goofy Tom Hanks the whole movie. I don't know where that falls. I got to really think about this fish out of water question, Scott. Yeah, this is yeah, a good this, question, this, Scott. Yeah. Like what's Marty ah, McFly? Like, he, he went over the whole school. And Marty, well, Marty McFly is not under because like one false move, so he's not really in control. He's just waiting the waters to. That's true. Best he's he of like, can. Yeah. Yeah. This, I like those kind of questions too deep for us to answer. Right now. <laughs> like, <that's> the <laughs> I what love Mark? the relationship though between these two. Like it's just you know, like like later on they're like, I love you, I love you too. Like they're just good friends. Like seeing Murphy do that on screen, like you didn't really see that much back in the day where like two guys were just friends. Like, you know, I love you, I love you too. Like it's I like the relationship. It seems like Eddie Murphy wasn't afraid to kind of like create a bond with a guy who he has to, you know get revenge for or not get revenge, but well, yeah. you know, go all the way out to California. So you actually buy it in these few minutes between them. Like it's, it's cool that Murphy does that. I dig it. He's kind of like vulnerable, sensitive in this. And that's some, some different in the eighties. You're oh. not going to write a think piece about how they possibly slept together back in the oh, day. No. By the looks that they're given. <laughs> yeah. And no, I just, no, they but, were both chasing Jenny. Yeah. But like, you don't he's see the, this. Ro- he's in- the guy that robs the liquor store at the end of fast times. That's who Mikey is. Uh, but you yeah. just don't, you just don't see friendship like this much. Like it's, it's cool how they set it up. Cause normally you just bring in somebody like, yeah, they're going to die. They're going to want revenge. But I like these two. Well, we get to hang out. We don't get that a lot. And yeah. we get like plot, oh, like straight up plot, you know, plot movies. Well, like you're, you're, you're told that they're great friends instead of. Yeah, it. yeah right? exactly. Yeah. Oh. And you get to see that this guy is like freaking like he's doing this fun, but you can see like there's a there's a fear behind his eyes, you know, like it's he's, he kind of knows. We do get a good amount of time just spending time with Axel in Detroit, mm-hmm. um, it, which is nice for one thing, because it establishes how he is at his job, who his friends are, what have you. It, it, before you get to the Beverly Hills stuff, where it really uh, lets him run the show, because that makes me think about. Eddie Murphy's choices, like sometimes he's a little more generous with letting others also have comedic power. And other times he's more the whole deal. He's the star of the show and he kind of knows it. Jonathan this movie Banks. I think has a has a pretty good balance. Yeah, Jonathan Banks with hair. <laughs> so what he has bearer bonds, is that what it is? Yeah. It's always yeah. bearer bonds. Has anything ever has anything ever good happened with bearer bonds in, in one of these movies? <laughs> It's like, I don't, has anyone ever, I, I've never seen one. Like, where do they, it'd be fun to see like a rom com where the, the rotating factor is about the bearer bonds that we have to get in. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, how does that, there's nothing nefarious about it. It's just bearer bonds. So, if you steal bonds, like, do you, they're just like yours. Like, don't you have to like 
exchange them somehow and sign off for things? Like, I don't understand how that's you, better you than sound ridiculous. cash. You just, you just I, take Parabons to the local, yeah, the like, local I got these uh, 7-Eleven, get a money order, and you're set. You're fine. I'm leaving the country with these bonds that are hopefully good there. I, I don't, like, I, I don't know. I want that to be the end of usual suspects. Like he, he just walks away with all the bearer bonds in his car and then like drives away. That'd be fun. Like it, it to me, it's the equivalent <laughs> of like the end of dumb and dumber when they're like, Oh, those are IOUs. Those are good. Anytime. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's death's a horrifying scene too. So yeah. You know, helps establish some stakes, even as silly as it's going to get. Um, let's see, as far as this movie's production goes or whatnot, again, Eddie Murphy uh, leaves Ghostbusters for this, which makes sense. Ah. I mean, <laughs> paid off. I, I feel like that was always a tenuous thing anyway, I because I, I, I always wonder that, like, I, I wonder how involved he was in, like, being Winston in Ghostbusters or how much that script changed or what have you. Because it, like, mm-hmm. it just it just seems weird to me to think Eddie Murphy was going to be the third or, I guess, fourth lead in Ghostbusters. Like, was he, though? Was there, was ever like. A guy who is going to be the biggest star of any of them. And I even mean, at that point, he's already red hot off of 48 hours doing Saturday Night Live for a little bit. Like, he didn't do it that right. long. He's got trading places under his oh. belt. I mean, this, this man, like, this movie launches him into, like, a, what, a, like, 10 to 15 year window of being, like, one of the biggest stars on the planet. Like, if Eddie Murphy's in something, this is the, this is like, the first of, of seven Murphy movies in a row to open at number one. Yeah. Wow. And like, this, wasn't. Oh, this this movie played for like over a year, Scott. Right? Like this. Yeah, this was one of one the fifteeners. Of my, yeah, this is one um, of my favorite things. Like you look up the history of Beverly Hills Cop, and it goes, it like plays for a year, and it goes down the top ten and back up to number one and down the but like it is insane to see like how this movie played. Like you no, know, when when you think of incredibly leggy movies of the eighties, it's this. E.T. and Back to the Future and Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, yeah. Um, and again, it was an example of the kind of money you could make from just a movie that really just clicked in the popular conscience. As much as we all talk about, oh, you know, Star Wars and then Jaws was the start of the modern blockbuster. And that was true. But you see, you know, the films that followed in its wake, they may have been, quote, B movies with A budgets, but they were, you know, to a certain extent, they were original star vehicles. Um, And this was, you know, this was an, a relatively formulaic, compellingly so, but formulaic action comedy that happened to have a white hot movie star and at the center doing his thing. And that was enough. That's what number 47 right now in the top, what top lifetime adjusted gross in the States, like 629 million when adjusted. Unadjusted. It was the biggest R rated movie domestically until matrix reloaded in 2003, which is wild. It's wild. 19 years. Yeah. This thing went forever. Like yeah, uh, he he drove here. <laughs> it's very funny to me. For some reason, he drove from Detroit. <laughs> to two, three days later, like that's a beater car, and he drove here the whole time. Uh, to wrap oil up changes. Quick, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to, to wrap up the 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 Inspector Todd thing real quick. Gil Hill. These are his only movies. Beverly Hills Cop because he's not an actor. He's an actual police. <laughs> uh, his only three movies. He passed away in 2016. Uh, 84 years old. Um, but sir, you know. He, he left he left it just an interesting legacy of being a guy who like did this on like the side of what seems to be a very successful mm-hmm. career 
serving in the Air Force and being in law enforcement and being in the politics. It's just, it's really fascinating to me to see all that. <laughs> anyway, now we're at Beverly Hills. Everything's brighter now. The color palette's very much changed. It's very much acknowledging the fact that it's a different place. And I like his drive in. He's more observing, not just like, oh, look at these people. He's just sort of watching and enjoying it. Like that's the first time I watch this. I remember I, I keep saying this, but it, I, I just wasn't used to him just sort of drive it like that kind of experience. Like normally they'd be making fun of the people or like, you know, Demolition Man with Stallone, like in the future. Like, what is this? Like, I, I dig how he just kind of comes in and owns it. This, though, <laughs> like right here, where he's going yeah. to fake his way. <laughs> Rolling Stones. Yeah. The, it's the, this is the movie in a nutshell. Almost. It is yep. this scene right here. It, but it's the confidence he's putting out as far as just, it's just saying mm -hmm. who he is and where he's coming from and, you know, immediately getting loud about it. And the face, though, when she mentions the price for just a split second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a lot of great like um, it's loud and like the, the lines you can throw in there's a lot of great Eddie Murphy stands and stares at you for two seconds and it's hilarious right, <laughs> <laughs> right there <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that well he does it there but the, she's gonna come back to him yeah. or, or, or him whichever one comes up there and they'll give another stare <laughs> and it just kills me <laughs> What John Ashton said in this movie, he would just watch people and sort of absorb them and like be, he wouldn't wait for his line. He would just absorb and then do his dialogue. Like he said, it was just really interesting how he did it. Like would just play off these actors. Like he, they said he was really generous. I love using that word for actors generous, but nothing but compliments for his performance in this. I, and he knows he can get away with it because he's like he's he's talking to like this just young receptionist who's yeah. like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> right here this is the second stare. <laughs> and it, it cuts to them. That's great. They cut, they cut. Fine. fine, 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 fine. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's oh a balancing act because at the end of the day, he's basically harassing innocent people. Who have done yes. nothing wrong, but <laughs> compared to a similar scene in Rush Hour Two, which I don't like, where he, where Chris Tucker just badgers the shit out of Sal Rubinoff's blackjack dealer, this one gets away with it. It toes the line between. Like you know, very natural. We're in the DeBarge talking. outfits. Yeah, Scott, like, you're exactly <laughs> right. That's why, like Rush Hour Two, a movie that has things I like in it, but oh yeah, in some ways we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk. We'll talk way more about it next month. <laughs> but, <laughs> but well, that's right. That's yeah. But it does. It does. It tries to toe that line as well, and it's at least happily balanced by. You know, friend, our, our, our greatest enemy, Brett Ratner, who's done multiple <laughs> film commentaries for being a pretty good action director. <laughs> so, free shrimp cocktail for everyone. Oh my! It just jumps. It just jumps to other great sequences because now we're gonna get all the surge stuff. <laughs> yep, surge. Yeah, this is a lot of Eddie Murphy walking up to a counter and having an interaction. Yeah, with <laughs> it's like a Sean Connery James Bond movie. That's great. Bronson Pinch, oh my gosh, he's so Pinchot good. does here. a great stare too when <laughs> trying to get his name right. <laughs> it's crazy this man made like a career of like these characters because like he goes and plays like Balky on Perfect Strangers for like yeah. seven years. And that's, mm -hmm. and I, I remember seeing him something else for the first time being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays he'd be done. This thing right here, Ahmed Ak 
ว่าอ่ะควอลอะไรเกี่ยวกับคอมดี้ like this is laughing at stuff like this is hard pictures the only one who goes like toe to toe with him of all the people yeah. he interacts that's well he's supposed his... to like there is supposed to be two of these guys and that's the what the other one but yeah. Pinchot was like hating so hard that they re they like restructured the scene so it's just him and Murphy because mm-hmm. it was it was just he was just too good like it was too good to be in this And also, it's it's a different dynamic because it's it's he is unfazed by this man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh oh, I have to up my, you know, I can't just bulldoze my way into getting what I want yeah. here. Yep. No, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great point. He really isn't bothered by Axel here. Like they're yeah. they're going toe to toe. Yep. But it would get boring if Axel just steamrolled people the whole time. Right. So it's of course it Well, that's the and that's the thing. Like he is a, I mean, he's Eddie Murphy for one thing, but he's like he's a generally friendly person. Like he, like he has no reason to be hostile or anything else unless he you know needs something or you know you're just a villain. I mean, so it's like any anybody else, he's trying to get along. Like even like Billy and um, and Ash. What's John Ashton's name? <laughs> um, Taggart. Taggart. Thank you, Billy and Taggart. Like. He wants to generally be friends with them. Like he's not, you know. Once he kind of get, once he they kind of understand their own, their each other's wavelengths. He's a friendly. He has no reason to be adversarial with them mm-hmm. anymore. I think one other thing that makes this film almost gentle is that he's not out for revenge. He wants to get the guy killed his friend, but he's not. You know, I'm going to find these people and I'm going to kill them all. It's very clear that you know he wants to find a case and arrest them and put them in jail, and that almost is, makes him different from the conventional eighties action hero. Which is why it's you know it's believable because you have Eddie Murphy and you know, I read that list of names and there's ones I could see excuse me making sense and others I can't. You mentioned like Robin Williams being one of the ones that could like play this kind of character effectively. I could see that same with like Billy Crystal, obviously. But yeah, if you put your Schwarzeneggers or. <laughs> Or even even like your De Niro's or Pacino's, it's like there's just a, there's an intensity there. Or Stallone, obviously, which was he was going <laughs> to do this. There's a, just an intensity there that. Although I'd be curious to see what Pacino would be doing, improving lines and like he's, he could probably pull it off. I'm for Rolling Stone. You're not going to give me the room. <laughs> well, De, De, De Niro, De Niro. I mean, he would do it because the dude Midnight Run with breast a few years later but at the same time he needed the he needed years to calm down before he could do this role i think <laughs> and you know to point out a potentially obvious point the fact that he's a black man in this situation underdog in a way that a lot yes. of the other actors would not be yes so there much. would be a certain bullying aspect that doesn't come through because he's this relatively skinny black guy doing this Yeah, and it makes it very notable that that whole list I read, not a lot of black names in that list. Yeah. And when I say not a lot, I mean there's only one other. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie wouldn't have been. I mean, he would. He oh would no! Been, I mean, we've seen Gregory Hines like mid-level yeah. action movies in the '80s. We know what and that I, would have been. I said Richard Pryor too, which is, but I. Don't, I Pryor would have needed somebody. It would like. Yeah. It had turned into like him and Judge Reinhold. Yeah, he, Judge Reinhold he, he, being he, he, a he Gene Wilder replacement. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's that's also, not because of the like. It's just his ta- his style doesn't fit with this. Like, mm-hmm. that's a solo lead in an action movie. I, I think also by this point in time, Pryor wouldn't be an underdog either. I mean, he's such a force too. of nature at this. Very point. much so. Yeah, it just it would be it would be intensity. It'd be like funny, but it just be, it'd still also be very intense. I think with Pryor, yeah, it just wouldn't. It wouldn't be as likable as Eddie Murphy is. I don't know if you buy Pryor as a cop too. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, like yeah, I wouldn't. Like, yeah. 
a renegade cop just rolling around mm-hmm. Detroit. Yeah. I want to see Stephen Burkoff. I want to be a cast, villain. Stephen Burkoff cast off of Octopussy. They're like, we need yeah. Burkoff in this movie. Um, <laughs> still alive, by the way, 85. Um, he hates this. He hates this movie. <laughs> he's not a really? fan. Yeah, he's wow. not a fan of this film. Fair. Uh, probably because it got him, I assume, typecast more and more as because it's what it's like Rambo, uh, uh, first blood, two, uh, other like just roles like this, essentially. He got me all these giant, massive blockbusters that I'm still probably getting residuals from. I kept getting work, (laughs) I keep getting checks in the mail for movies I did 40 years ago. God. But he's uh, and he's also like a big playwright, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Like that's his other, like that's, that's his main job. Mm. <laughs> he's, a, he's a successful playwright. Oh, this moment, I get four guys. <laughs> this is good extra work right here. Oof. Yeah, four guys, one window. And I do <laughs> like how exasperated he is here. Every time he explains, like I got thrown out of a window. Like it's very like. Why am I getting arrested? Like it's so. And the cop drives then, onto the brick. Yeah, like the cop driving onto the thing. <laughs> I like how it takes two different tones here because at one, the one hand, a black man just got thrown outside of a building, and two cops immediately roll up onto the fucking sidewalk to arrest him. But they're also incredibly polite. <laughs> 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 Like everything here is by the book. A different movie. He pulls that gun out of the back pocket. Eddie Murphy just gets shot in the chest three times. Oh, that's, that's, the, that's the rest. That's the other LAPD movie that we could be watching. That is, and you know, without getting too navel. This is pre Rodney King too. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's in a skewed way. The fantasy is that these police officers are by the book and polite, and they don't they don't overstep their boundaries. But the film. In a, in a way that certainly is harmless back then, kind of argues in a demolition man kind of way that, you know, maybe you need to get your fingers a little bit dirty here and there. Yeah, I would also say it is the fact that it's specifically Beverly <laughs> Hills and not yeah. LAPD. Like, I think that's very much making a difference. Um, and with yeah. that in mind, I've been to the Beverly Hills because it's right uh, police station because it's right not to the station itself, but it's right next to the Beverly Hills Library, which is quite nice. <laughs> and, the, and the police station is quite nice as well from the outside, at least. They didn't film in that, though, because uh, they wouldn't let them. What they did do is oh. Martin Bress uh, took the, um, the 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 designs he had for the NORAD scenes in War Games, and that's mm-hmm. what they based these design for this oh. police station on. Yeah. Uh, Martin Bress, by the way, he's coming off like going in style, which Zach Braffrey made memorably, obviously, um, and um, was on War Games, got fired for War Games. Mm-hmm. But Bruckheimer and Simpson were like, this guy knows what he's doing. What are you talking about firing for War Games? So they get him onto this. They had to convince him. Because Brest was understandably upset for being fired from a movie, but they got him on, and he made Beverly Hills Cop. So, I think it worked out for him. Yeah, he he was able to make multiple other movies and then never do anything again after Geely. So you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Brest yeah. like Brest was like yeah, that score. Man. Can we just put that every you know remind people of it every five minutes? That's great. It's wild to me that I, this is a whole because we got to talk about all this stuff. But it's wild to me that Geely like stopped him from making like of all people that don't make movies anymore. Somehow Geely is the one who's like, no, we can't hire Martin Brest for things anymore. Doesn't happen. It was his second War Games. <laughs> the one that finally did it. Like, I, there's no info about him. At like, I'm sure he's out there, you know, just living it up on royalties or whatever and do whatever he wants to. But it's like he's I mean, just off the map. We- 
My God. Without defending it, I you know, Meet Joe Black was a pretty big bomb too. I didn't so know. it might have just been a twofer. And then with and again, I'm speculating here, sort of the changing of the guard, the idea that you had less and less studio programmers that were ideal for these journeyman filmmakers. Yeah, but like not even like TV credits or yeah. anything. It's just like I'm done. Like <laughs> I am not doing anything else ever. And that's t- literally 20 years ago. <laughs> Oh, it's deep. It's deep blue seas. Ronnie Cox. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I do love this movie. The the um, this is one of the movies in the eighties to do something else with Judge Reinhold successful successfully. Like yeah, his one of the his, few. his type was like, uh, you know, alternate James Spader, like yeah, the light a hole. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's the kind of character he was like. And then this is, you know, gives him some good comedy. And so, and the second one and third, you know, and they certainly the amp him one, up yeah. as far as how goofy he plays. Yeah. Cause it's like, when's gremlins? That's 84 also. Right? 84. Yep. That, it's like, it's Come like on, split- we're talking cable. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's the line, right? Where it's like, he's either, he's playing, he, and he's fortunately, I think, kind of sides over over to this side of things with the Billy type characters because like Gremlin is mm-hmm. playing a douchebag like that's his whole that's like his deal like yeah. I'm sure that's that's he's, written he's under the character's way. description fast fast times he's kind of that way as well so yeah. like uh, he like thinks that he thinks of himself as being pretty cool but it's like, mm-hmm. like this guy's a dick like he's not really anything special <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you're the best at grilling dogs or whatever you do at your restaurant or <laughs> like it's not not great yeah he had a huge year in 84. He had Gremlins, Roadhouse 66, a TV movie called Booker, a TV movie called Never Again, and Beverly Hills Cop. You couldn't step outside your door without seeing Reinhold. That's what they were saying. It was yeah. his, it was his, here, Jude, here comes Law, the judge. Jude Law ro- year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember it. No, more like Jude, Jude, Jude Law's 2004 was his Reinhold year. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Uh, no, I remember enjoying Offbeat, which was just some random movie where he plays a librarian that has to impersonate a police officer. That, um, that sounds funny. It does have Offbeat. It's cute. Huh. Have you guys watched Vice Versa? <laughs> yes. I, okay, good. It's a movie I, I've seen once. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Offbeat, Meg Tilly, Harvey Keitel, right? Yeah. I mean, so it was, it was one of those movies, you know, I'm six years old. And I'm trying to see as many movies as I can. It's the kind of movie that I read from the video store because it's PG and it looks interesting. The, the director of Hot to Trot? Oh, boy. Look us up on Just Watch, see where I can watch Offbeat. No, I like Reinhold in general. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, he, he plays, you know, this kind of thing. He kind of settled into not a lot and then like supporting stuff like you know I mean, he the, step, the stepdad and he the stepdad goot- and santa claus yeah he kind of gutenberg it when the 80s or 90s rolled around but yeah i agree at the same time though it seems like whatever when when gutenberg pops up and things you're like i don't know about this reinhold pop up and something you're like oh okay reinhold's here like it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, like no, no. <laughs> i mean he, he didn't quite like fully vanish i mean he just he stepped down in terms of like cultural aware- awareness of who he was but sure. well I think also to an extent that Reinhold did, doesn't feel like stunt casting in a way that Gutenberg probably still does at this point. Well, That's Gutenberg fair. was yeah. on top of he's one of the biggest stars of the yeah. yeah. Offbeat not coming up on a, the old Just Watch app. <laughs> Things might be a little tough to track down. <laughs> what year was you know, it? It's funny, it's funny Scott, you, we've talked about this a lot, like the lack of movie stars today. 
um, just in a general sense. And I, I think now about like how many comedy stars from the 80s, only so many of them really kind of kept that going. Where like obviously the action stars kept going, but like you think of like the brat pack and what have you, there's you know, some of them settled in TV careers or what have you, but there's some superstars that do not really go very far afterwards. When you look at, you know, the stars like Fast Times and how many of them are, at, you know, that were like supporting actors or cameos have become major movie stars. But like Phoebe Cates, Judge Reinhold, like, or like look at Breakfast Club and you look at like uh, Judd Nelson or, you, you know, a lot of these, you know, what would seem to be the top of the world. Don't, they didn't really transfer. Well, Phoebe Cates far. retired, so I it mean, seems like yeah, yeah. She like she married just, yeah. Kevin Klein and just stops, right? That's kind of, yep. kind of. If I had to take a guess, and again, I'm just speculating because that's an interesting point that I've never really considered. I guess perhaps that. Whoa! I just I don't want to watch myself. I'm having this conversation. Hold on. <laughs> um, I would guess that. The changes of the guard in terms of what was considered mainstream comedy sure. in the 90s and then the 2000s from the Farley brothers to the Apatow gang to the Farrell gang, although that might be the same thing, there was less you know, adaptability in terms of, you know, does Judge Reinhold really have a place in a in a Judd Apatow picture starring Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd <laughs> versus, you know, an action film where to a certain extent, you were either trying to make a serious actor like Matt Damon or Nicolas Cage in an action movie, or you were still making Stallone Schwarzenegger pictures to a certain extent. Well, that's interesting because you think of how adaptable those actors have to be. The ones that did survive, like the 90s, com- like, you know, Jim Carrey yeah. obviously diversified intensely because he yes. assumed in dramatic mm-hmm. roles or what have you. Uh, same with, I don't know, Will Smith. I mean, like, there's ones that just like fit different Sandler. parameters. Sandler, yeah, Sandler, great example. Who, but like, he still does his thing. I mean, he's still like very much so. Like, and but just yeah, some interesting thing. Good old yeah. Jenny Summers. Lisa Albeger off of a uh, uh, officer and a gentleman. Hmm? Sorry, she she's coming off of officer and a gentleman. Oh, Lisa Lisa Elbacher. Elbacher, yep. Um, yeah, and uh, notably in this film, the film that generally features a love interest, uh, these are not love interests, they're friends, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's pretty honest about that on the DVD supplemental features. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that you know, when it was a Fester Stallone picture, they were going to be love interests, and then when it was changed to Eddie Murphy, mysteriously, they're just friends, uh. yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, you have your, you have your two big stars back in, uh the 80s as far as black actors go you have Randy murphy and then you oh, later you have denzel becoming more and more of a star and uh it takes a minute <laughs> before they start getting uh love interests of a certain kind uh some would say <laughs> look at damon oh. wayne's all skinny here oh, hair. look at all this hair on damon wayne's head he's aged like three days since this movie he's just a little thicker he just he just shaved that's and it. his son looks exa- damon wayne's jr looks just like oh him. yeah <laughs> This is really random, but when Sean William Scott joined the Lethal Weapon cast with him, I was really happy. Just want everyone to know that. Okay. I'm a big Damon Wayans fan. I love Sean William Scott. So like that was like a good day in the Hoffmeyer household. Sean probably- William Scott. <laughs> that's another great example as far as an actor who he certainly had a good career. He's still working. He's doing all his things, but he is one who I think is very adaptable, but just hasn't been given that really that great chance. Like he yeah. certainly appeared in stuff, but he showed what he can do. I think he can be a very capable dramatic actor, but he just 
like he just like he can't seem to find that right thing that will just like mm-hmm. make it really apparent. Like Goon and Southland Tales, like I feel yeah, like he tried great there. Those, yeah. Like even if yeah. you don't like Southland Tales, I like it more, more than although people seem to love it now. But Guys, I think we're he's, watching I think cinema right now. He's specifically <laughs> really great. Did yes, the banana and the tailpipe. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like, by the way, the David Wayne's thing where he's like, take these bananas. Like, he just get like, he just immediately likes Axel enough to be like, take these bananas. <laughs> Wasn't that just what they had on set that day? Like, they had an I, issue. I imagine. Right? I can't imagine yeah. it being anything other than, what do we do with the scene? I don't know. Just play yeah. around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the whole scene. Just take the bananas. <laughs> Remember, Clerks the Cartoon did a whole bit with the. Yeah. <laughs> when, they did the, when they did the Judge Reinhold joke first before Arrest Development did the Judge Reinhold joke. Right? Yeah. They did. That was oh my gosh! That show was so far ahead of its time. It was pre-Family Guy doing Family Guy stuff. Oh, it's it's given given how popular Kevin Smith is as just a personality. It's surprising that they haven't rebooted the Clerks animated cartoon. Stuff. Well, <laughs> that, seems... that costs that costs money. That's that's a whole different wheelhouse than him going. But he's so pot like he could make that work. That's, that can't be a hard sell. Does he have friends that are animators? Like. She's friends with everybody. We're friends with Kevin Smith, probably. I don't know. True, true. <laughs> Hi, Kev. I know he's been waiting for the Beverly Hills Cop. Long time I listener. hope we're doing him well. Hi, Kev. I'm sorry I give you crap for the Red State Touring Show thing. It just made me add a paragraph whenever I had to talk about burst screen averages. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he was annoyed with that. This will be fun when we tag him in all these commentary links. <laughs> 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 Kev, stay tuned. In about like an hour and 13 in, we talk about uh, the <laughs> red states and your, and your and the necessary need for Cork's animated cartoon to come back. I have to wonder, do you think that this movie's like massive success like like got like greenlit and fast track Fletch? Because that's like the next year. And that'd be like something that sure. goes in. Is Fletch, is Fletch before this? Fletch is 85. So I'm wondering it's if that, like, yeah, right. okay. fast track the next year because it's got like a didn't hurt. Similar, you know, idea. <laughs> got Harold. Got Harold Fault of our score. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I, it didn't hurt. Is the best I can say it. Yeah. Gotcha. But it's coming a year later, so it's like, you know, I don't know what the filming schedule was, but so yeah, fast track is because they're probably already in production at that point or being worked in. Another thing I like about this movie, it's kind of a good hangout movie. Like, you know, a lot happens, but it's still pretty chill. But like you it, said, that it's a lot right. of scenes of Eddie Murphy just walks into a room yeah. and starts talking to people. <laughs> like that's, that's a lot of the movie. I think that's what makes it so watchable. There's not, like, there's there's highs, but there's not too many, like, you know, Rush Hour 2-ass moments. You know, it's just sort mm-hmm. of... Because it's... It's, it's not, not frantic. It's, yeah, it's it, pro, there it is. That's a, the word. Yeah. It's the proto-Simpson-Bruckheimer thing. So it's before they're, like, every 10-minute action scene. It, it can ha- it has the time to be more leisurely. Top Gun's the same way. Top Gun doesn't have a lot of action in it. You know, there's well, this one's interested in like detective work and do like interviewing people, searching for clues, and that's a strength of Foley rather than wielding a gun and punching people and stuff. Yeah, it's the Batman of uh, fish out of water cops. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he hadn't met Rick Baker yet, Eddie Murphy. So yeah. it was just kind of yeah. it was just kind of Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Uh, like, he, he still liked his buddy love persona. <laughs> <laughs> this was before he uh, turned against it. We talked about Judge Reinhold. John Ashton also great here. I oh, mean, yeah. he, he, like he is such a great like deadpan, straight laced performer. Oh yeah, who like perfectly matches with Billy and the two of them against Axel. This is just great stuff. 
a lot of improv between the three of them. I know that's a big part of it. Um, these guys trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's not a bad gag that he tried. He's like, he did go to the legs of getting a banana on the, he got the glasses. That's not, that's not bad, but, but they're terrible cops. So who cares? Uh, <laughs> There's always gotta be that other pair of cops in cop movies. that are yeah. like the a-holes. Bad boys has it. Yep. Uh, yeah. The, and, the Andes. Yeah, exactly. The, the exact parody of that. Yes. <laughs> you have a mustache. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who are just like, you know, Patty Considine and Rafe Spald are just, you know, really solid performers. <laughs> and Olivia Coleman also in Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is a great oh, yeah. of actors of both young and old actors, given all the veteran talent in that movie between like Edward Woodward and um, uh, 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark, bad guy. Yeah, oh. <laughs> um, Paul. Paul uh, I'll, I'll think of it. Why can't I think of his name? I'm a slasher. Like what? He's in there. Bond. Oh, yeah, gosh. Timothy Dalton. Yeah, Timothy Dalton. Yeah. yeah, it's the truckload of like just talents there. <laughs> That's another rewatchable movie. Doesn't have two that say they're like extras in um, the Dustin Hoffman one. What's it? Um, the the Siege movie with Dustin Hoffman, which is with taking his house. Man on fire. oh Matt straw City? dogs straw dogs. It's straw like dogs. two of those people say oh. they're like extras, and they actually were extras in straw dogs or something like that. Like it's <laughs> it's like it goes to that level. <laughs> anyway, Axel Foley's investigating a room. That's that's what's going on right now. <laughs> Are they playing uh, Axel F? I probably I don't know. I can't. And, and another fun scene. But yeah, John Ashton, great actor. <laughs> He's really good. <laughs> that's that's where I started with all this. <laughs> One thing that. You know, and you guys mentioned this too, but it's it's this movie is an investigatory dramedy in the same way that I think one thing that separates, in other ways, these films are night and day, but the first Taken from a lot of the knockoffs, including the Taken sequels, is that Liam Neeson spends the first two acts just investigating stuff. He doesn't start kicking ass and killing people, more or less, until the final reel of the picture. Yeah. Um we talked about this like with like Lethal Weapon also. Where like yeah. the first Lethal Weapon's a, a movie that like spends time and develops things, or what have you. Lethal Weapon Two is just like it's just an action movie, yeah. an action comedy, full on. And I remember mm-hmm. when they were promoting Beverly Hills Cop Three, Eddie Murphy said something to the effect of, "You know, blah 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 blah." Like in the first film, I don't even draw my gun until the end of the movie. And even when I was fourteen, I was like, "Why is that a bad thing?" <laughs> At the same time, the Beverly Hills Cop Three is also like. I want to be a serious actor, so I'm not going to do jokes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and what Landis needed the job too. So he was like, I'm yeah. just getting, I'm just getting paid. So I, yeah, Murphy like, doing it that. Is, it is. And I've read that there's some great articles, the interviews between these, between Eddie Murphy and this, like going on where it's like, Eddie Murphy seemed to like really hate Landis on coming to America. Yeah. But he like did him a favor, just have him do the movie. <laughs> And then for some reason he gets him again for Beverly Hills Cop. Like I don't know what kind of fences they're mending in between these movies. Or he's just, just so trying bad. to take down his career. Yeah, <laughs> this one's so bad, he'll never come back. Well, it's the same. You know, it's it's not dissimilar to you know with Kevin Coster and Kevin Reynolds. Oh god, yeah, they, those guys seem to really hate each other. <laughs> and then oh well, let's just work again on Waterworld. It's like why mend fences over coffee, not on a movie set. We can we can make it work this time, Kev. Thanks, Kev. Okay, Kev, we can do this. <laughs> so, sure, it's gonna cost a lot. It's gonna take place on the water. You're gonna lose your wife over it. Like a lot of things are gonna go on. <laughs> but we can 
make it we can make it work. We'll be friends the whole time. No, no, no. It'll inspire no a great stunt show. Do we have Dennis <laughs> Hopper in our back pocket? He's always a laugh. Like it'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, Water Super World's Mario like- Brothers, Dennis <laughs> Hopper, you know, shoots <laughs> in speed. He was he was a, such a calm presence in that film. Waterworld's the only movie that goes three for three on the Hoffmeyer scale. It has jet ski action scenes, catapults, and sea creatures. So <laughs> I I got to applaud them for that because that's the only Not movie I can think of. Creatures. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, the sea. I love that the sea eater eats him, then he blasts out of it with an arrow, swims to his boat, brings the boat back, gets the meat. It's a whole process. Waterworld 2 would have really been the way of water of Waterworld sequels because it really would have delved into the creatures more, I think, between the, <laughs> between the mutated gill man that Kevin Costner plays and I assume his lost family, as well as the sea creatures underneath the water that we're not seeing for that throughout that film. Oh, and more jet skis. More, yeah, they, they'll, they'll, they'll go to the other side of the earth. Finally. It's like, oh, yeah, there actually is a lot of land. We just never went to this side. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of jet skis at that point. So it's like what if that was a thing? What if that was the thing about Waterworld? It's like, oh, there is a lot of land. We, we probably should have just went a little further. First, <laughs> <laughs> a big Another place. Guys. About, I don't know. This is the sec the second big sequence where he comes into a place and sort of just takes over the room, uh-huh. and he really is playing it like an improv performer, where he's thinking <laughs> oh, yeah. and observing, and he's making on the spot choices depending on how everyone reacts. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say it feels improv because that's not fair to the screenwriting, but the character feels like he's reacting and thinking and, and observing the scenario. It's not just a bit. It, I mean, yes, there's obviously a written scene as far as there's an objective to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it still is Eddie Murphy coming into the room, just doing a yeah. thing. Like, that's very much yeah. a part of it. I like that he's able to get into, get into the cop car and still surprise them. That's yeah. very funny. He can open the entire door and then get inside and still yell at them and surprise them. It would be funny if this was Stallone doing this. Watching him put the banana in the cheeseburger is forty dollars. As Cobra doing that. <laughs> yes. He's wearing sunglasses. It's pitch black at night. <laughs> He's chewing oh. his teeth thick. He's like, "This is going to be hilarious." <laughs> I need somebody to do some AI art of like Beverly, <laughs> the Eddie Murphy Beverly Hills Cop, but with. Marion Cobretti <laughs> oh, in place God. of Eddie Murphy. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Axel, you murdered another room of people. <laughs> they didn't want me to talk about the things I was wanting to talk about. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love how their friendship evolves in here too, though. Like the yeah. like, mm-hmm. like, like this, they go on fishing trips. And he's like, "I love you guys." Like I, lo- I dig it. They actually become buds. It makes me happy. Yeah, that's that's what I said. Like once they're on the wavelength, they're cool together because they <laughs> like Taggart sees it and uh, and Bill. Billy Taggart sees it more because he's a veteran, but like they get it. They get, they get, they get enough that they understand this guy probably knows what he's doing. <laughs> also, this seems ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way he's dancing. <laughs> when does this, this trope is, Mark, this, Mark, this is a great example of what you're saying. Cause this is the scene where he clocks in and tells, and he does, and he talks directly to Taggart saying, you know, like, yeah, guys in the corner, we got to watch out. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good, like cop work happening in the midst of silliness. When did strip comes get involved with cop films? Because I was I was doing some dark blue work, and Ron Shelton's like, "Yeah, you always need a strip club in a cop movie." Like, when did these two kind of become synonymous? Does it? I'd I say, don't know if it, so I, I'd assume the seventies, but you'd also probably mm-hmm. have to say, you know, it's used to be whatever like burlesque clubs or whatever from like noirs in the thirties and stuff like ah, that. It just kind of keeps yeah. carrying over and evolving. That was a great answer, and I believe you. A general assumption as far as just how how these movies work oh, makes yeah. sense yeah. Yeah. yeah 
because it has to go to like seediness, right? And that's the association you're going with. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you portray villainous characters in a certain situation? You put them in areas that are disregarded by the main populace. You talk, Scott, you talk about like how the movie becomes the thing later on versus where it starts. And like, yeah, like Beverly Hills Cop 2, suddenly like the Detroit Lions jacket, that's his signature thing. Like that's that's how you know it's Axel Foley, right? He's wearing right. his jacket. Like um, this, like you, you, because I think about that when I think about Axel, I think about like his costume, so to speak. But like this movie, he's basically just wearing like a hoodie and a t-shirt the whole movie. Yep, that's what. No, it's and I, I think one of the issues with the sequels is is obviously he's not an underdog anymore in any way, sure. shape, or form. I mean, he spends a lot of the movie wearing very nice, fancy suits. Um, well, here's it, the question: He takes we, over the like, nice house. Like two, Two starts of it. Two starts of him getting dressed up in a fancy suit. Like that's the whole opening credits of that movie. Here's my question: Do you guys like Beverly Hills Cop too? I do. We talked about three, three songs. I don't. But two. it's certainly a stylish picture. It just doesn't do anything for me because it does Tony feel style. like more. You know, it's a. It feels more of a generic action picture, where the comedy is just well. This was funny the first time, so he's going to just do this again. Um, and then the third one is also a generic action picture, but there are no jokes and the action isn't all that good. But it has George Lucas. <laughs> what I like here is that Axel's still kind of like half dancing while doing all this serious talk to Tagger, which I quite like. It's just like it's good. It's this is a good this is good acting from Eddie Murphy. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's like a twelve hour day right there, just just dancing in the seat. Brand, do you like Beverly Hills Cup too? I do. I do. It's fine. It's no, I mean, it's a step down from this one, and it's it's weird to see how like amazingly raised the stakes are in terms of villainy for that film. <laughs> yeah, you had and in acting. Yeah, Rashid uh, <laughs> Nilsson. Yes, <laughs> that's but, the alphabet killer or whatever. Yes, like it's it's a the vibe just like changes, and as a Tony Scott film, it's fine. Uh, as a Beverly Hills Cop film, it's not quite there, but. I still think it's pretty entertaining. I enjoy it. Is, is it Scott's first film after Top Gun? Beverly Hills I believe Cop so. It, was it, was like year. it has to be. It's, it's a year difference. It's 87. Yeah, yeah. So it has yeah. to be. Yeah. And by the way, Beverly Hills Cop 2 broke the opening weekend record over Memorial oh, yeah. Weekend 86 or 87. Well, yeah, it's Eddie Murphy, the yeah. director of Top Gun, making a sequel to the biggest nine R-rated comedy of all time. Or movie yeah. of all time. Like it's, yeah. And what was, uh, what was incredible is Beverly Hills Cop 1 had just stopped playing in theaters a month before. <laughs> I assume you're joking, but I'm not I was. sure. Oh no, I, I was joking. <laughs> I would be surprised if like Drive-ins had it back. Yeah, which would yeah. probably be pretty I, cool. I bet it. I bet it debuted on VHS for rental around the time of two. Yeah, that there it is. Right, okay. it took a, it, well, no, it took a long time. No, I was just looking at the him doing the okay side. Like, we did it. I thought he was this whole thing. Power. I believe took like no. hours to film. They kept cracking up at the whole super cop story that he's trying to tell here. <laughs> And it's after he was like really tired too, like because he, Eddie Murphy doesn't like caffeinate, <laughs> like he doesn't do so like doing this kind of. I think I feel like his schedule was pretty similar to like Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future, where they're just like running him around and doing all they can. Mm-hmm. So he's getting tired. Gave him a little bit of coffee though, and he came up with this whole Super Cops improv thing <laughs> that like just kept <laughs> cracking everybody up. You can see it a little bit in this scene too. They're trying. There's a lot of there's a lot of body shifting to kind yeah. of hide the fact that they're about to crack up. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun when you can really tell it when you like they're clearly not laughing, but you know that there's something inside of them. There's a lot of movies you can kind of like see that in. 
One of my favorites is Doctor Strangelove, where what Peter <laughs> Sellers is doing stuff. If he re- there it is right there, he's oh, rubbing man. his eyebrows. He's trying not to laugh. Doctor Strangelove is a great because it's you know it's a Kubrick movie, and you can watch Peter Sellers doing stuff, and you can see guys in the background like really trying to stifle laughs, which is impressive for a Stanley Kubrick movie to let that slide. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes, yes, Dimitri. Can you turn the music down? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that that when he grabs his nose and like puts yeah, that's his head right. Down. That was, that's a perfect. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and this is before, like you know, some actors like you're talking about Fletch, like mm-hmm. some of the early, actors' early roles. Like this is before he was Eddie Eddie Murphy at the time, but he wasn't. Yeah. You know, like with quote, like big, like three exclamation points at it. Like after coming to the America is, with the costumes, like he hasn't become. This is still fresh, new. Like he doesn't. This is what nothing recycled to yeah. superstar. Like this he's is, a star. Yeah, this this he, was his Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, there, yes. But like Fletch, <laughs> like I love Fletch, but that was before Chevy Chase became Chevy Chase. Like Chevy it, Chase, professional yeah. asshole, no one likes. <laughs> Wait, he was the whole time. We just yeah. didn't know it for a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, he had quit SNL because he thought himself so high. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. He pulled a Caruso. (laughs) (laughs) Or Caruso pulled a Chase. (laughs) Yeah, but you know Chevy's movies. What David Caruso movie did he? Kiss of of Death. Jade. Jade. Session nine. (laughs) Yeah. So, to be fair, I'm sure Caruso made more money off CSI Miami residuals than anything Chase ever did. That's probably that's probably walk into I mean, a well, crime the, scene, take those, off glasses, say those something. DVDs of the Chevy Chase show probably sell like hotcakes, though. I do. for decade. It's a double feature with the uh, what the Magic Johnson one. Is that what? Oh, God, which one danced with Goldie Hawn out of desperation? Uh, Chase, Chase, got it. Oh, oh, this waiter I, staff that's all like <laughs> really trying to, to, to do Axel's whims for him with these other cops. <laughs> I like they're all in on the they're all in on the things. Like this guy is great. <laughs> he just makes us do funny stuff. <laughs> Axel left himself. You should talk more about Hulta- Harold Fultimar, by the way. Eighty um, <laughs> stalwart uh, as far as the composing scores go. He had what this and uh, Top Gun, Fletch, Running Man, Tango and Cash, mm-hmm. Gigolo. It's got a BAFTA nomination. This movie did for the score. That's yeah. Well, they don't nominate Deserved. black actors, so yeah. The BAFTA, yeah. The, the score is the one thing they could do. <laughs> this banana in the tailpipe thing has made me laugh for decades. <laughs> I, I, it never, even just thinking about it, makes me very much smile. It's, I'm just messing with this cop, the straight laced black cop. That's also Was it a coup that this got best writing, like screenplay, uh, uh, Academy Award nomination? It feels that's I mean, that's not too dissimilar from the Top Gun writing nomination as far as it's a culturally relevant movie that hit big and is certainly celebrated for a number of things. So why not give it a screenplay nomination? Eddie Murphy is he's doing so much here. And how what else do you nominate? You can't nominate Eddie Murphy. That's ridiculous because it's a comedy. You can't do that. But you can nominate the screenplay. Um. And you know you you'd see that a lot because you know, even then I assume they had two different categories adapted in originals. So sometimes a breakout populist success like say Bridesmaids would end up getting a you know in the screenplay category as almost a consolation prize. Pretty much, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's yes, a lot of this is Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy, but this is a very well structured, well oiled, well plotted picture that, in a way, that I think is generally underrated in terms of the discourse. And has always been. I mean, this isn't a new Twitter situation. I mean, I think well-oiled machines in terms of screenplays have often been, I would argue, undervalued compared to screenplays that are very good, but are also well known for their quippy dialogue. Sure. Um, that's that's why Avengers Endgame doesn't get a token nomination. <laughs> Coming soon from the rap, Beverly Hills Cop is good, actually. <laughs> Does anyone think otherwise, other than Roger Ebert? Well, they have to say it now because I don't know. Someone probably got canceled or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, maybe what, I'll, no, maybe oh. when you know Axel Foley, the Netflix movie comes out, all right. Why Beverly Hills Cop two and three are still terrible, actually. <laughs> Thirty Mark, years later. You, did, do you like? Are you a fan of Beverly Hills Cop two? It's it's fine. It, <laughs> the shopping. Listen, this movie though is such lightning in a bottle. Uh-huh. Like, just like, with yeah. Murphy's performance yeah. and just how laid back it is, and just uh, I I think it's only like I love it. So you will go to two, and you have all the fog machines, and you have all the the Tony Scottness, and just the the, the the like exaggerated action, I guess. And I just really just wanted to watch Beverly Hills Cop again. Sure. So it's fine. Yeah. Like if I watched it first, I would be like, oh, this is cool. But just knowing what this movie was, and you, I, it's hard to recapture, of course. Like you got to get him back out to California, so already it's less organic. You have but, to make the Ghostbusters poor again. <laughs> it's, it's just it's they just, saved the city. Now they do birthday parties. That makes sense in a world where ghosts <laughs> apparently exists. Like <laughs> logically, these guys would be just really slumming it the next year. And that line, all this happened the last time I parked it here. Like all this, like oh, just, <laughs> that, that's a great. Yeah, that's a great little bit. Just. But no, just how, just, like you said, like when he gets thrown out of the window, the way he acts and like, this is, he, he's acting in this. This is not, this is not just kind of a, I don't know, like even though he's relatively young in his career too, I think this is just such no, a good he, performance. He is a good perform. Like, yes, obviously yeah. he's funny, but like he, he, the work he does as a performer, I, I thought the same about like Jim Carrey too. Like, yeah. I think that there's beyond just what he does drama, there's legit good acting within the comedy. Looking at this, or looking at I think Nutty Professor, I think oh god yes, dual, dual roles. Yeah, he's amazing yeah. in that. Bowfinger, Bowfinger. I think he's amazing. Oh, I mean, Bowfinger's he's, great. He's a wonderful, sympathetic, romantic lead in the Nutty Professor, despite or because of being buried in pounds and pounds of shape changing makeup. It's just and, a performance. It's good. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, you know, the weird conundrum of Jim Carrey is that I think The Grinch may be his worst movie, but he's terrific in it. Sure. Yeah. He's because um, he makes the role entirely yeah. pathetic. Um, I think, like, me, myself, and Irene, a movie I like more than both. Oh. I think he's really great in that movie. <laughs> yes. Because he has yeah. to play two different characters and play yeah. one very sympathetic and one right. very extreme. You can, t- you can tell he's excited to stretch his dramatic muscles in that one. Yes. Do you think that movie was just too mean for most people at the time? Because I guess because it's mm. weird for fairies. I, I always Fair, liked it. Fairies <laughs> are generally sweeter than how me myself, but me right, me myself is is meaner than average. It still has a heart in it, but it is a meaner than their other films go kind of thing. Yeah. I think, and and I know that the the word of you know the critical reaction was a little divisive or whatever, but I mean, I think me myself, Irene basically performed as well as would have been expected, except that. There's something about Mary was such a ridiculously overperforming phenomenon that it sort of tilted the scales. Yeah. 
for what that's worth. It's also great. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's also, yeah. Um, uh, this is this scene to me is as good as uh, Sidney Poitier slapping the white man yeah. in, uh, in, uh, <laughs> in, the heat, in the heat of the night when he when he just absolutely bodies this Jonathan <laughs> Jonathan Banks over the table and then Jonathan Banks stands up looking fucking ridiculous with all the stuff on his face. <laughs> it's this is great. Scene. Like this, imagine just like this. You know, not even the fact that he's a cop, but this black man coming in to talk to this other person, right? Someone tries to assault him. He's like, "No, thank you, sir." Throws him over a table of food, gets him dominated, and then and then still is able to like walk himself out on his own terms. Random trivia: Jonathan Banks is one of Nick Nolte's fellow cops who gets killed in the hotel shootout in the beginning of Forty Eight Hours. Oh, yeah. Where and anywhere if he plays the the criminal, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a reverse. <laughs> I love Burkhoff's look that he gives to Ed Banks when he gets thrown over the table. It's just, yeah, yes. mm, yeah. yeah. good job. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like how much, like the stuff, like whatever the PA did to like put stuff on his head in just the right way. He just looks so ridiculous. Well, and the look on his eyes is like, <laughs> he's so mad. Like yeah. insanity. Like, yeah. like oh. Burkhoff's doing a lot of work with that forehead mole. He's really staring him down. That got a Golden Globe nomination, actually. He's <laughs> <laughs> a triclops. Best rising star, I believe, was the category. <laughs> and I think there's something to be said of he's basically playing this role as a James Bond villain, but obviously he's up against a very different kind of, you know, quote unquote hero. Yeah. And there is a skewed. You know, that, that's why this scene works, because it's such an off-balance. <laughs> yeah. He still looks ridiculous. The way his yeah, hair yeah. is, like, matted down with the... Yeah. yeah like. And he's just sort of the befuddled henchman that got his ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> I like that there's Rob- not a, a lot of movement. Well, there's... there's In some police stations and movies you watch, everybody's moving in the background. Mm-hmm. This one's somewhat... It's in the middle, so I appreciate it. There's some... I'm- I remember the the Bad Boys Two DVD had so many special features, and one one feature was literally devoted to the people that walk back and forth during the police station scene, it was, it was, right? Which honestly taught me a lot about movies. But it's like yeah. that's literally the feature. It's like a two minute extra that's just about the people that walk back and forth on the movie screen. And I I like how sympathetic everybody is in this scene. Yeah, you know he's and he even says you know when I find out. I'll let you know so you can arrest him the right way, blah, blah, blah. That's the implication. Because again, he's not after revenge. He's not going to, you know, take a machine gun and strafe the place. Although that ends up He wants legit justice. Yeah. You know, in his own skewed way, he's doing it by the book. Well, it's also like Ronnie Cox is, he's sympathetic to the situation yes. as far as like he, he he's heard enough, I assume, from Inspector Todd, where he can believe that this man is not just full of shit. But he's yeah. actually he's actually a good cop and it's like okay you've gotten yourself into a couple situations with people that you shouldn't get yourself involved in but now you're actually presenting me the information i want to hear as far as how we can do to something to proceed yeah like yeah it's a it's a good like we've gone so far on this film axel's gone so far so it's like well he can't just keep riffing his way through stuff so now he actually needs help from the Beverly Hills police department and you know i like that the movie's smart enough to just okay this is the part where they stop being antagonistic just for comedy and they actually talk to each other and they're both on the same page and because ronnie cox isn't an idiot he's going to listen to him and he's smart enough to know that what he has to say is worth hearing there's a change um, up for ronnie cox too right he's yeah. generally not playing 
stiff characters. He's kind of more kind of soft-hearted people. Like in this, yeah. and like Robocop, obviously, and among other roles, kind of takes him into a different direction for his character, his older character actor career. He was in a notable uh, two-part arc on Star Trek: The Next Generation as well. That was big for him. <laughs> okay, and Deep Blue Sea. No, I'm just saying he was. Yeah, that was notable. I like the framing Isn't of the he? shot too, because they just it's went. The, it, there's like two shots between the four of them in one, and then Cox and Reinhold keeps the 180 and just gets the dialogue across really quick. But I like the way it's framed. Just breasts bringing it. Ronnie Cox is in Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, so he's he's at the boardroom, and he's just sitting there with Sam Jackson standing right next to him. <laughs> okay, and that's so that's it. like you you have to rem- I, I I I rarely see the first like five minutes of Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> like it's it's been a while. I generally jump in somewhere around the part where Stellan Skarsgård's getting it. So that's <laughs> it's rare for me to remember. <laughs> but that sounds similar to something like um, Michael Mann being in Hancock for like half a minute for some reason mm. in a boardroom, also. <laughs> I like how these cop movies always have like there's the you know the there's the captain and then like there's a guy that's even higher up in the food chain that comes in and also chews them out like bad boys has Joe Pantaleone and then like Marge Helgenberger comes in all of a sudden it's like now you really got to deal with somebody <laughs> it's like oh there's somebody chain the commands on her Woosa. at least there's no dead bodies falling out of vehicles in this movie <laughs> Not that's enough. right. I think that in a skewed way works. I mean, yeah, the film isn't trying to be an ultra-violent action <laughs> picture, but because of that, mm-hmm. the film feels more realistic because there's a, a realistic and plausible amount of violence. And there's also a series of scenes where it's like, we can't just do stuff. We need to like make yeah. reports and we'll have to deal with the paperwork afterwards and we have to report to other people to let them know what's going on. <laughs> like it's, it's making the barest of efforts to do like things that seem legit for this kind of a story. Yeah, that's great. That's all you need. Sometimes you're like, "Oh, okay, cool." They're trying. Like, this is great. I gotta say, guys, this is pretty scene specific. This wind. Get it, Ronnie. <laughs> Usually, on a lot of tangents by now. We gotta stay pretty much to the movie. <laughs> Get it, Ronnie. I did ask uh, Saf- Saffron Burroughs why he was in the movie, but she just said he had a larger role, and that was all she replied with. Oh, uh, yeah. That, the, originally, Deep Blue Sea was 30 minutes worth of boardroom scenes. And they're yeah. like, I don't know. Well, there's a lot of paperwork that comes with genetically modified sharks. <laughs> it was literally just Sam Jackson and Brian Cox sitting in silence signing forms yeah. so he can go on a helicopter ride to uh, Shark Island. <laughs> and What's Adrian Brody had his entire scene cut away from him. So that was crazy. Adrian uh, Brody I, had a scene in Deep Blue Sea? <laughs> no, but didn't yeah. he get cut from Summer Sam and Thin Red Line? So it's like, just cut him out of another well, one. Summer Sam, he's, Summer Sam, no, he's, 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 he's <laughs> very supporting in Summer Sam. Yeah, because didn't L- L- Leguizamo, I remember in his book, he said Leguizamo said he kept getting more part, like scenes in Summer Sam. Tracks. Hmm. He's very good in it. Yeah. Thin Red Line, yeah. I mean, I was cut from Thin Red Line. We were all cut at some <laughs> point from that. <laughs> I had a great scene, though. I was on an island. It's wonderful. I, I'm in like... Five Malik movies have just never made the final <laughs> cut. I, I, there's me running through the bushes in um, To the Wonder. That's my one moment that made it uh, in. Abe was originally co-lead in uh, Song to Song. <laughs> <laughs> What's that one where Christian Bale just goes around dating different women for two hours? There's Night of Cups? Night of yeah. Cups, of course. Yeah. I was like, what's happening here? This is... <laughs> That's one where uh, Brian Dennehy, like one of his last performances, he's uh, really good in, like, in, the, in the random scenes he appears in that movie. Oh. I did there. I, I, I night these are cups. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's weird that that's the closing line of the film. It's like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Really weird. I do like all of these Malik movies, but I like this that weird period. <laughs> I dig Tree of Life. I saw it. I, I, I adore that movie. Tree of Life is awesome. It's the pinnacle, like among those mm-hmm. four between that to the Wonder, Night of Cups, Song to Song. The Hidden Life is different because it goes back to more traditional. And that movie, I think, is terrific. Oh, I love Man, that movie. Yeah. This Terrence Malick talk of his Beverly Hills Cop commentary is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> we well, said there's no tangents. Uh, and then my yeah, friend, yeah, you're right. You thank you for increasing this. <laughs> the, the boys went Malick again. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Smith tuned out by now. <laughs> Ha ha ha! They got cut from one of his movies. Oh, God. Listen, y'all, I love Tusk. I just want everyone to know. <laughs> Michael Parks monologuing mm. has a nice mean ending. Oh, to bring it back to Kevin Smith that we were doing here, Faltermeyer was the music mixer on Cop Out. On uh, Cop Out, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there you go. Hey, Sean William Scott classic. Yeah. <sighs> I got food poisoning because of Kevin Smith. Oh. I was reading this book one time when I was living in South Korea and I was like, he just all he wrote about was fast food. So I'm like, I'm gonna go get some fast food. I'm craving it. And I got some fast food and I got food poisoning. Not saying that's all South Korea, but I can let's always remember that. So thanks, Kevin. Fair enough. Kev, you did it. <laughs> um before Martin Bress came on this movie to get back to the film, uh Scorsese was offered to direct. Yeah. He right, turned it down because he was too similar to Coogan's Bluff. That was his reasoning there. Oh. And uh, then David Cronenberg was offered this movie. Berg. Which, um, I, you know, that that mid eighties part. He's doing more mainstream stuff. He's doing Dead Zone. He's doing mm-hmm. his Fly. Eventually, I could. It be. It's weird to think of him like taking on Beverly Hills Cop, but I mean, that's that's just like studio guys liking buzz names, and then be like, well, mm-hmm. I, he's going to want to transition into normal stuff at some point, right? And they don't mm-hmm. understand the, like a Lynch being offered like return of the jedi he does dune but dune is kind of in, in more in his wheelhouse of weird so i kind of get why david lynch look goes to dune but yeah. like but there's these guys where it's like well he's eventually gonna stop the silly stuff he's doing to make real movies with us and they offer them so they could be the first one to have that talent or if movies with their name headlining get people in seats that's what you do how many fingernails would have been pulled off if Cronenberg directed this? Oh, yeah. They, they, would, have, they would have tortured the hell out of Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Jenny. Be- and Benny would, be- Benny, Billy would certainly die in this movie if David Cronenberg directed it. <laughs> Jenny's just cool. She's just down to roll. I like it. I mean, as much as issue I can take with the idea of like, oh, you're going to have a white woman and a black man being love interest. If there is something refreshing about the fact that she is a friend and she's just kind of like, yeah, like you just said, just kind of cool with the rest of the cast. Like they're just plotting to make, you know, to take down Victor Maitland. You you know, doing the Cronenberg thing, like you're saying, like, that's weird, but like, that's kind of like back. It never happened. But when Aronofsky was going to do the Wolverine, uh, yeah remember like or, like he, or batman he was doing batman for a long time right yeah he was well yeah bat uh, before fountain like it was like he was in the running for batman begins and then they rejected his his script that was, it was a wildly offbeat interpretation which i'd take of, of year, one. Nowadays, year one that's yeah. where they should go now with batman stuff it's you want to make was there an arc the fire rised <laughs> the phrase 
Gordon has a beer and cheats on his wife kind of became shorthand lingo for weirdly offbeat adaptations of popular characters for a while. So they're they're well, adapting and, and Jaws. Al- Alfred was going to be Big Al, a mechanic that worked in the garage. Bruce Wayne was homeless. Like that was his. So I was really going for it. Yeah, he was really going for a unique interpretation. But at that time, they're like, you know, Batman Robin was such a scarring thing. I mean, there's been so many runs of Batman. Why not? Well, obviously because of fans and money, but I'd be down for a weirdo 40 million Batman movie. Oh, so I'm like, saying we should we should just else I mean, Batman for from here on. We got have- great. Granted, it was a very expensive film, but the Batman's not a normal Batman movie. I mean, it is pretty weird when you look at some of the things going on in it. And then you have Joker also, which is like doing its own fucking thing. Yeah. It's own weird one. And Joker 2 still joking. Seems even weirder. <laughs> even what they're going for. I guess I'm saying like more like a Gotham by Gaslight. Uh, those, those yeah, oh, I'd be all down. Thing, yeah. Yeah. Just like complete Elseworlds story. Yeah. Which, you know, it'll have that label on it. That's what James Gunn said in his State of the Union on Twitter. Yep. Well, I mean, it's, it's no secret that I'd love to see all these unproduced superhero screenplays as DC animated movies. That'd be great, yeah. Whether, you know, the, the, the Superman Tim, lives. You know, the Tom Mankiewicz Batman one is always the, you know, I'd love to see that cartoon form. It's wild that they haven't done that more given the success and seemingly ease accessibility they have to doing some of those ideas. Yeah. They've, I mean, done, they've done Death of Superman twice. Right. Why and, not? And they did like, they did the last Two Face episodes from the Batman 60s series. Yeah. yeah, yes, they did with and their intended cast. Why member. not? Why not yeah. do Zack Snyder's Justice League two and three in animated form? Don't George don't Miller's. Give that, don't don't give that atmosphere, Scott. <laughs> no, is, I'm serious. I'd love that, to see that. That part's getting edited out. Yeah, <laughs> I do want George we're Miller's. Letting, we're not letting though. Kevin Smith cry over that one on Twitter about the idea. <laughs> <of that. laughs> I'm dead serious. Um, no, I I get you. Like I. I think I think they should do that with like I was thinking like Star Wars too. Like I think those Timothy Zahn books from the nineties would be fun to like have some animated Elseworld thing for the people that they said, Oh, we're just gonna slap Legends labels on those and keep making them and then they didn't keep making them. Or you know, the extent that they can do it without sort of showing that they quote unquote messed up the first time. I mean, what does Chris Miller and Phil Lord solo actually look like? Yeah. Also when do we get Lego Batman 2? I don't understand why this has not happened. <laughs> right. I don't think Warner has the Lego movie rights anymore. I think Universal they, snapped them up. That's Yeah, that's actually true. That's why we, that's exactly why I have to get them. That sucks. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> what are they going to do? Lego <laughs> Lego Hulk? That's what they have? <laughs> Lego, Lego Hulk Snowman. Lego. Don't, don't, do they own Namor? I mean, I guess not. Well, they just, but I mean, they could license it on too, but they, they own Namor for a while also. I think that was a big part I of it. I think they still do. I know. Which is why there's not going to be a Submariner. Yeah. Whatever the hell they call him. I'm curious own. if that's an actual thing. If they, if they own Submariner, but not Namor, <laughs> maybe that's like <laughs> a, a distinction that they have. Like, yeah. Like Universal's never given up their rights on who they have, which is funny because everybody goes after Sony about Spider Man, but like Universal still has the Hulk. Do they get money? I assume they do, or they sure they're getting doing it. Money, yeah. They must get something, right? Uh, because this Universal is so strapped for cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'd be great um, from a villain perspective. Shoot him in the head, then he's done. Yeah. Deal later. Like, what are, what are we doing? Why? Th- why worry about it now? I wish he still had the strawberry on his head. <laughs> he still has it. It's the same day. He's still covered. Suit's still dirty. 
Banks is doing exactly what he does now. Like he's still great. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's, he's a little more wiry because he's younger, but he's still like the pauses, the facial expressions. It's all right there. Same as as uh, Mike in the uh, bad right. and Saul. Yeah, Bressis let this play, didn't he? Like he kind of. Oh yeah, this is, this, is, this is a long dark scene as far as these guys go and mm-hmm. letting it play out. Yeah, the jokes end here, buddy. <laughs> One thing I do like Even about bit- this scene is that. He's scared in a plausible, you know, he realizes he's fucked and he may boast and bluff, but, you know, he doesn't know that Judge Reinhold's out there waiting to save his ass. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's he's screwed. Come on, JR, go get him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting into this here. I'm like, come on, Judge. Yeah, this is what got him Beethoven. <laughs> uh, wait. The other sequels. <laughs> a lot of gut shots in this movie. They're effective. It's big in the 80s, gut shots. It yeah. seems like a mm-hmm. big 80s thing. Gut shots and switchblades. Switchblades are everywhere in the 80s. Oh, the, be- the, the Beat It video. Everybody, yeah. Everybody wanted City. one. Everybody yeah. wanted one. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly so they could do this. <laughs> Yeah, I can only dance now with when I'm holding a switchblade. It's crazy. It's weird to dance without switchblades, honestly. The only movie that made me buy knives was Desperado. I went and bought throwing knives in the Florida. <laughs> I went to a Florida fil- to get uh, the flea market. To hold oh, no, no. Uh, but I did try to throw them into a palm tree, and they bounced off the palm tree, and I wasn't wearing shoes, and one of them went right between my big toe and my other toe and like almost landed right in there. And I'm like, I should probably retire yeah. throwing knives when I was You'll 13. You'll shoot your eye out. Yeah. yeah. But that the big tattoo photo. on your chest, that's still there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had to get that. Yeah. <laughs> the tattoo artist was like, how old are you? I was like, 20. I like yeah. how I've grown up with Danny Trejo's uh, giant tattoo on his chest. <laughs> like That's a that's an aspect of my life that I have. It's like, I've grown up knowing this. And I see it now, and he's old, and it's like, oh, it's still there. <laughs> Would you like a taco, sir? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's doing good work, this extra here. I like his earpiece. Mm-hmm. Good earpiece work. He's doing some good button pushing, too. I'm big on that in movies. This feels like something Clint Howard would play if it was a Ron Howard film. <laughs> just at yeah, like this- 12. Well, unless it's Apollo 13. Normally, he's at like 12. <laughs> Wait, I didn't mean to do that on purpose, but you know. This guy should have an interview on like the, <laughs> the, the, the Shout Factory release of Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Him and the other two cops. He's yeah, you know frame 20 minute interviews each. You know what is funny but like Beverly Hills Cop like has some of the like most eh or non-existent bonus features ever. Like there's nothing for two, nothing for three. For most of Murphy's movies, he just and doesn't seem to be vintage, interested in it. Yeah, vintage featurettes for like their EPA EPK package stuff. Yeah. For the first one, that's it. Even like Golden Child got the Paramount Presents release, and it was like no, no Murphy involved, no that. Nope. Yeah, the directors have to do the heavy lifting because Bowfinger, it's Oz yeah. coming to America. I mean, I mean, yeah, which is, I mean that's like a Steve Martin thing with Bowfinger, which yeah. I, I get. But even then, it's like Murphy doesn't seem to. You think about that, he doesn't seem to. He doesn't do a lot of press, and right. part of that's for a reason. I know there's stories about him, and he just doesn't like to do press to begin with. But yeah, he's not very. Uh, it's real Steven Spielberg in that regard. <laughs> kind of keeps it under wraps. Keep the movie magic alive. Right. You know, uh, it's funny, uh, Golden Child, that 
that movie and Big Trouble in Little China have a big cast crossover. Oh uh, yeah, the yeah. Asian cast and like sets and stuff they use. Like it's kind of crazy. That was that year when Asia was in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love the reunion in Escape from L.A. Like the Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> reunion in Escape from L.A. It makes me happy. Hey, quick, so like if Scorsese, you know, Scorsese's always talking about like Blu-rays and practical media. Like if he did commentary tracks, not like giving up his like method, but just talking about the movie on a track, that would sell a lot, wouldn't it? Scorsese does commentaries. Yeah. Scors- Scorsese does commentaries? Yeah, oh, Spielberg. Does. Spielberg does it. Oh, Spielberg. Yeah, Scorsese, so, Scorsese, Scorsese does. does. Commentaries he's, he's, for he's, films that aren't even his. Like, yeah, oh, he's, he's he all like, over. Yeah. yeah, same with like Fincher and Del, and Del Toro now. Del Toro's emerged as a guy that's like, I'm just ju- – and Soderbergh. They all Soderbergh, jump on yeah. other movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting on my Mad God uh, Blu-ray. Like, it's, I, Del Toro's great, on that. It's yeah. a great commentary. Him and Phil Tippett, it's a great discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I spent a lot of time listening to Del Toro's commentaries. He teaches you things. I love it. Oh, he's a great – like. Yeah, like if you want to know about how movies work, him and Fincher and Soderbergh will do a lot for you. And yeah. and yes, it's Scorsese, of course. <laughs> he's he is he's wonderful at commentaries. Well, I want a Kimmy yeah. commentary, but Spielberg, no, Spielberg will. <laughs> he's yeah. like, there's the there's the movie. Go do some do some commentaries. <laughs> Release the Blu-rays again. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to give everything away. People would buy the hell out of them. You know, if bad guys have to have this many monitors. <laughs> maybe they should just think about their career choices that's all i'm saying like you gotta watch all this stuff it's a lot to keep track of some good wall climbing uh, this, coming up this is the same house in commando if i'm not mistaken as well this mansion that they're in oh okay really yeah the matrix oh. and um the other what's also i forget his name um but yeah it's the same mansion as commando you and know, again, think, you you have a relatively lightweight action comedy that up to this point was a comedy, and you end with a relatively violent shootout straight out of Commando. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. slightly toned down, but I think Roger Ebert compared it negatively to the finale of Scarface, and he's not wrong. Um, but it, I would argue it works, barely. You mean um, Commando straight out of Beverly Hills Cop? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, obviously. <laughs> Just like, you know, Top Gun's a remake of Police Academy. Well, yeah. <laughs> this nonsense with these two. Like, I, remember the wall. <laughs> like, I want to believe that the it, the funny thing is, like, those two were, like, two very competent, good police officers till they met Axel Foley. And he, yeah. <laughs> that's how they fell apart. They fell apart. Yeah. They fell apart. Hey, this guy's back. We need that show factory interview. Oh, here, yeah. Yeah. Because it gets weirder in two, right? Because Judge Reinhold's like a gun nut now. He has like guns mm-hmm. everywhere, guns all over the place, guns, guns, guns. Well, they, they, they made him the guy from uh, Police Academy, since we keep bringing up Police Academy. <laughs> Coming soon, the Police Academy uh, commentary series, all the films. Listen, when you get, get to the jet dude. ski one, bring me on, please. Well, I mean, Abe's <laughs> doing all of those. He's been saying, like, I've been holding off the commentaries mainly because I just want to do one mm-hmm. series and then I'll be done. <laughs> so it's that and the Airbud sequels as well. Yeah, I had to watch all those and pull his stats. So I got plenty of information. I still know how many bullets Ooh, missed boy. Arnold in Commando. I do love it. What was the Air Bud? It was the football one. And they called Golden Retrievers. Golden, yeah, Golden Receiver. <laughs> Receivers. Golden Receiver. I was like, okay, that's kind of smart. <laughs> oh, the titles for the Air Bud movies are on point. Yeah. Wait, the movies themselves, I don't know. <laughs> Remember, and then there was Space Buddies. Yeah, because it's like, wait, these were about sports, right? And then it's like, no, we're just gonna go to space. Final frontier, baby. 
Billy coming is, in. In the third film, doesn't Reinhold just wipe people out? Isn't he? Hasn't he gone full blown gun nut in the third one? No, he's like the he has some ridiculous like acronym for like some position he has. Uh, um, but like no, but Surge is in it, and he gives Axel like a big fucking like, oh, yeah carrier <laughs> machine slash gun that has like a rocket launcher on it, and all this bullshit. Like that's that's yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. Again, in in keeping with the the sensibility, even during this this shootout, you have Judge Reynolds who keeps trying to get these guys to surrender. Yeah. So again, they're not going in with the intent of wanting to wipe all these people out. Mm-hmm. It really is self defense, relatively speaking. It plays like a western. Honestly, look at yeah. it. the big final. This is the big well, final shootout scene, and they, yeah. and they make a uh, uh, Butch Cassidy reference later on. Yeah, yeah. And the deaths like linger. You know, people die and they die. Like it's, yeah. it's not a lot. It's not commando exactly. As far as bodies are strewn everywhere. But I wonder who are these guys they are killing? We need like a more backstory, more character. It's the Maitland Dance Team. Guys. He was like in addition to his in addition to his bearer bonds run. He was also. Con- like it's basically like a big boy caprice in a Dick Tracy. <laughs> when he's not doing his crimes, he's also training a series of dancers for the performance they're going to give. Who happen to be gun trained henchmen? <laughs> it's ex- that's the that's exactly that's the in the the wiki in the Beverly Hills wiki. I don't know if you read that, but uh, yeah, it's, I like when John Ashton's like, "You do that again, I'm going to shoot you myself." <laughs> he tries to arrest everyone. <laughs> These henchmen definitely hate the plants here because they're just oh, blowing yeah. up the grass, the shrubs. It's not associated with plants, it's the pots. <laughs> and the what's shoot. Maitland's plan at this point? He has all his guys shooting. Now the cops are all coming. Like, it's just such a, like, this really fell apart, this whole plan he had. <laughs> uh. You mentioned the screenplay nomination. Has that? It got a Golden Globe nomination for comedy and actor, BAFTA for the score. It won a Grammy for the soundtrack. Uh, it's on what AFI's list for comedies. Hmm. I mean, it would be oh, better. Be. How do, yeah, how do you leave it off? Something gross is this much that's actually this good. Yeah, yeah. Generally, like well liked too. Like I mean, this movie was everywhere. I remember even the video store thought like the big cardboard cutout and poster sitting up for like ever. Oh yeah, it's a good poster. It's really to it the point. Good, yeah, it's one. Of, yeah, it's a, it's a, one of the best simple like not that yeah. like fancy posters of all time. Like it's iconic. Even the second one has a pretty, I mean, for I like the second poster too. It's yeah. very, it, it's, yeah, it has a, the third one's like roller coasters. Well, it's, it's black and white. <laughs> the third one's black. It got a black and white poster, didn't it? It's like, it's, well, but the, the red roller coasters in the background. That's the, thing. Oh, that's right. <sighs> right yeah. And it doesn't like, it doesn't entirely, it just looks like weird cylinders more than like, I, when I look at that poster, maybe it's just because I'm not a roller coaster person, but I don't think. Oh, he's definitely at an amusement park. I just think, okay, there's like some stuff. Well, he's at a shitty <laughs> amusement park, too. It's not even like something cool. <laughs> what, Wonder World? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, the childhood memories I have of Wonder World, I can't tell you. I'm going to make you uh, pay Hector, for this. Hector Elizondo, Chief of Police or whatever, used to show up and regale the kids with the right. stories. John Ashton was really smart on that. He's like, I don't need to do it for those cops. I'm out. Yeah. Tell me when Midnight Run 2 is filming. I'll jump on that. I love that bit when they're just laying there on the ground. I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you for this, Billy. <laughs> you just broke bad. <laughs> oh, big exaggerated death scene. Too. Look at that. How <laughs> about my, how about my method? <laughs> Better call Axel. 
or the morgue. Oh, my water, my arm. <laughs> Maybe you should have aimed up, Vic. I don't know. <laughs> like... We should have kept shooting. Yeah. Also, Axel Foley's ambidextrous, which is very helpful. And they take time to reload in this scene, too, which is also refreshing. There's a lot of reloading in this. Yeah, there's a good amount of reloading. I mean, it's not like John Wick-esque, but what is? He's just showing off in those movies. Well, it's before they could be trained on Val Kilmer videos from Heat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, you know, you know how they got the audio for that scene? <laughs> Ow. <laughs> um let's see we had the sequels obviously uh they made the uh the tv show attempt uh oh. with uh sean sean ryan doing the script of the shield uh barry sonnenfeld directed the pilot and of course um uh booty sweat himself Brandon t jackson uh starring in the uh in the show was not picked up did not pick up that pilot Somehow the rush hour the rush hour show did go to series for some reason, but the Beverly Hills Cop series no, they were right. like now too too much talent. That's what they said. You just can't uh, sustain now, it. I, but now they, I mean, after the success of coming to America, uh, Netflix and Paramount have partnered up. I don't know how that worked after Amazon bought the other, but Netflix <laughs> partnered up uh, and they're making Beverly Hills Cop four. Like currently, like it's I assume it's done filming at this point. Mm. Um, it's got director Mark Malloy, who has done mainly commercial stuff and like not movies. Um, and then you have Will Beale, who wrote uh, Gangster Squad, uh, Scott Mendelson favorite, and uh, Aquaman uh, writing. So um, I guess we'll see. Pause that for a second. What a great violent death. For yeah. Maitland. <laughs> and I love that Ronnie Cox shows up, too. That's great. That like. You know, different movies could easily have like billion tag, you know, like all of them be there at the same time or something or something really boring and cliche. But it's like Ronnie mm-hmm. Cox of all people shows up and helps him out at the end. That's pretty right. cool. <laughs> Very good. <That's> great. great. <laughs> yeah, both they blow him away, he falls down the stairs, all bloody. Ryan yeah, he gets pop- he gets loaded. Reinhold yeah. pops up there like he's some animatronic. <laughs> <laughs> he's so happy that he arrested them. Yeah, and, and again, also, you know, not to be a broken record, but it runs so contrary to the stereotypical '80s cop movie. Yeah, right. but it also begins his bloodlust for the sequel. Yes, of course, of course. I mean, this is the, like from here he's just permanently scarred. It's like I need guns all the time. <laughs> Look how disapproving this guy looks. <laughs> he's so angry <laughs> about the situation. <laughs> You got some explaining to do. His eyebrows paint, look like painted extra white just so we can show how angry he is. <laughs> also, Ronnie Cox really wearing that three piece suit. He's he's nailing that right now. Looking great. Yeah. Where it's you know spring summer colors and everything is good. I want this role. I just want to show up angry on set. <laughs> like uh, up to a scene and just swear for a little bit and then disappear. Man, that guy was irrational. Who was he? I'm sure Judd Apatow is auditioning for his next uh, satirical piece. Or, no, sorry. Um, uh, Adam McKay is uh, auditioning for whatever is coming next. <laughs> I could definitely show. I, I'll just put pop, me up in, ju- pop up in one of those improv a bit swearing in Jonah Hill. Wait, put me in a jacuzzi and have me explain something. <laughs> <laughs> you want one of the, you want a cutaway scene. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
we'll get See, you and like Neil deGrasse Tyson explaining like <laughs> why 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 cryptocurrency's bad or something. <laughs> See, greenhouse gases are made by. <laughs> but don't take it from me. Take it, my friend Neil deGrasse Tyson over here. <laughs> We're both in well, a hot you tub. Think, you got to think. I don't think of fossil fuels. I can think of the Big Bang Theory. Okay. I, I want like the huge scenes. You have like Margot Robbie and then you have De Niro and then it's just me in a jacuzzi and everyone's like, who, who is this guy talking about, <laughs> talking about greenhouse gases? Bradley Cooper can barely get out of line because this guy's over here. <laughs> oh. I like how this guy turns around at this whole thing. He's like, I don't know, maybe this guy's not that bad after all. <laughs> he's like, yeah. look, he's like half smiling now. He was, he right. was so angry a second ago, and now he's like, ah, you sons right. of bitches. <laughs> Whatever. I love you, sons of bitches. <laughs> Such an eighty <80s> thing. <laughs> but like you said, there's reports that are due on the desk. <laughs> he just shot one of our biggest donors, but that's okay. It's like the end of Caddyshack, except Ted Knight's actually good at the end. <laughs> Yeah, these eggs aren't so bad after all. <laughs> kind of has a magic bullet wound. Yeah, I'm really hurt. I got shot in the arm. And like in it, it didn't graze him. It got by shot, a huge like, caliber weapon, in, by the way. He got shot like in the arm from the side. Like <laughs> he needs to go to the hospital. Vin Diesel learned from him for sure. <laughs> yeah. I love Dwayne the good. Dwayne Johnson would just bite it out. Yeah, <laughs> and forget about it a few minutes later. Oh, you tie a belt on it, rubs the dirt. I think the all-time one is Triple X Three. I, I was like, Donnie Yen's dead right now. Then a minute later, he's kicking people, and I'm like, wait, I just thought he had a long death scene. <laughs> I had to get, I had to get that out there. Iron Monkey doesn't die in Triple X movies. He'll just keep, he'll keep <laughs> <laughs> and also, Scott Adkins is in John Wick Four. Everybody just wanted everyone to know that. Oh, he's playing Amazing a real skinny news. guy, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's <laughs> playing big boy Caprice, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't care anymore. Hey, Scott. Scott. <laughs> I mean, as much as Definitely not on that. You mean I can eat a carb? Yes. I, I mean, after watching Daybreak, I'm all in for like wacky characters that Scott Atkins plays in a movie. So, like, I hope he's just a really athletic penguin. <laughs> he seems to be going for in this one. No, I mean, I. I I agree. He's a lot of fun just as he's sort of the fuck you bad guy that shows up in section eight for like maybe 20 minutes here and there. Yeah. When and, he gets to do that, like that's the mode yeah. I like. Mm -hmm. I prefer yes. him in. when he gets right. to play like wacky villain type stuff. It's straight lace hero and eh, whatever. But uh, like he's in one of the it mans or he's in is he it man. Yeah. Two? Four, 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 four. Well, it was way off. Yeah. And then undisputed two. That's what I'm thinking. Undisputed two is Boyka. undisputed. Yeah, yeah. Blake is great. I taught him how to kick. I could, I, I could evolve movies. Undisputed is like we can make sequels to this. Prison <laughs> fighting done. That's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Another good uh, Walter Hill. The original names are in Snipes. I love Snipes is so good in that movie. I love his performance in there. And Undis Undisputed is solid. That's a yeah. Solid the robes. This is robes. He has these robes for that. Are there three of them? Uh, 
when do you think he actually left? Like three days later. <laughs> like <laughs> even more stuff. <laughs> They're at Disneyland. There's photos. I forgot that Paul Reiser's like not. He's like more in two. He's like a lot more. In oh two, yeah, right? he's, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's posing as like Inspector Todd. Like isn't that the whole thing? Or at least he's just like barely in it. They they really had to set him up for that sequel. Well, like, foundation. Well, he, he's the he's the, the meantime, Kang of the Beverly Hills Cop movies. So that's, a- that's what aliens hit aliens hits big. So like they're like you gotta you gotta pump up the riser. riser. Yep. They were mad and about him. Put on the neutron dance and we're done. <laughs> this guy's on the riser. Boom. Yeah. What a wonderful movie. Yeah. Every time I love this movie. This is a laid back picture until the violent gunfight. Zach. Zach is not the name I thought of his character having. Yeah, what 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 do you picture him being? Not Zach. (laughs) I didn't think Jonathan Beck's name was Zach. Or or you're like Hitman McSalad on my face. Bob the Goon. No, no, no. Zach the Goon. Banana Man. Banana Man. David Wayans. <laughs> That's the credit I want. Bonded Warehouse Cork number two. <laughs> Guy in Jacuzzi. <laughs> oh, let's see if we can find the uh, dispatcher. There he is, David Wells. That's uh-huh. the guy with the thing on his the dispatcher. Go. Oh wow, <laughs> he's, he's really far far down there. We almost missed that, guys. I'm very happy we did. Yeah, <laughs> that was blue right by us. Mick, uh. Rod- Mick Rogers. That sounds familiar. Mike Rogers. I assume we all like Midnight Run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I certainly I like I like this movie. I love Midnight Run. I mean that movie is breast best yeah, for me. Well, it's just it, great great pairing. It is. It is it the, yeah with Brunt, with um Grodin and De Niro for sure. And just it feels like he's taken what worked here, and it has to be. You know, it's not Eddie Murphy. It's not that kind of lightning in a bottle. But it just feels like that that. That's the screen that if between the two of them, that should be getting the screenplay nomination. Like that feels like a top to bottom, like fantastic way to take like a road movie, kind of a buddy comedy and an action movie and make mm-hmm. it all work. Great. I love Groden and so I married an axe murderer. <laughs> I mean, Groden popping up in anything is going to be a win. Yep. <laughs> Can you drive faster? No. <laughs> uh. <sighs> So, Scott, how much money did this movie make? $235 million in North America. Uh, Off of have, like 15 got, budget, yeah, maybe? Like 15, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know the, the worldwide. I want to say like 350 just because. I'm seeing 316. Regardless, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot for this. <laughs> yeah, 316 off a fucking 17, 15, 16 million dollar budget. Dang. Um, and yeah, it was adjusted for, I think adjusted for inflation, it's still the third biggest R-rated movie behind The Godfather and The Exorcist. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, we didn't talk about Nasty Girl by Vanity. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, he does his dance throughout <laughs> that scene to that song. <laughs> the soundtrack was huge, too. I mean, for one of Grammy, like I mentioned, but it was also, you know. It, it's the 80s. It's, it's you look at a hit film, probably had a hit soundtrack, mm-hmm. but uh, it did a huge soundtrack. 
I just love seeing that number one of the year in 84, like above Ghostbusters, Temple of Doom, Gremlins. Mm. I think Temple of Doom is bigger worldwide, but yeah, but uh, domestic, yeah, just destroyed it. Like, it's just sitting right there, top top of the box office. Yeah, exactly. Don't learn anything from that. Don't, you know, don't find new black stars. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Next next month, we'll be talking about another movie that Hollywood should have absolutely learned nothing from. So Uh that'll be useful, too. Well, we've done it. Uh, we've talked about Beverly Hills Cop as part of our I Love L.A. commentary series. Uh, this has been fun. I think we've talked about a lot of different things here. I um, love L.A. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. uh, but that is going to wrap us up for this month's commentary track. So let's go over where everyone can find more of your guys' work online. Let's start with uh, Scott Mendelson. I'm at therap.com and I'm at uh, Twitter on at Scott Mendelson. Brandon Peters. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work blue.com Brandon Peter Show, uh, which is BrandonPeterShow.com. Subscribe anywhere podcasts are found and YouTube. Uh, currently doing some Scream episodes leading up to Scream VI uh, in New York. Now, I'm not recording right. in New York. The movie takes place there. The new one. Okay. Scream the New York. Got it. Scream uh, Mark Hoffmeyer. Yeah, movie sounds on flicks, Connor the podcast, Deep Blue Sea the podcast, on Twitter, whatever. I'm there. Posting thoughts about movies, really random thoughts about movies. Uh, you can find everything I do over at thecodezeek.com. That's my personal blog. I write for Wheel of Entertainment and Wise Blue, and I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. This podcast can be found everywhere. You can find podcasts, but iTunes reviews would be welcome. So log on iTunes and do that. Uh, we're all on the, all the socials, Facebook and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you, Scott, Brandon, and Mark for joining for this Beverly Hills Cop commentary track. Always a pleasure. It's banana time. Exactly. So until next time, when we talk about rush hour next month to continue our marathon, that's going to do it for this month's commentary track. So until then, so long and goodbye. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters show is a creative zombie studios production produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.